If you turn with me in your Bible to uh, John chapter 20, I mean, if you don't have a Bible this morning, no problem, we have extras. Um, so just raise your hand and we'll bring you one. And then also on page seven is the outline. If you're a note taker and you want a pen, they have pens too. So just raise your hand for pens or Bibles and we'll bring them to you. And uh, if you're getting one of those Bibles, it is on page 529. 529. So, as you know, in the Gospels, it, it tells the story of Jesus rising again. But right after that, after his resurrection, it goes through a series of, of kind of cameo appearances. He appears to this person in this group, and, that, and we're going to read one of those this morning about Thomas. So if you'll give your attention to God's word, we're going to start in verse 24. So John chapter 20, verse 24. Let's give our attention to God's perfect word. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get to learn about Thomas, someone we've never met, never will meet, this side of heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to understand this passage, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Have you ever met a cynical toddler? A cynical toddler, like a one or two year old? You offer them a piece of candy and they say, I know your type. What do you want from me? This is probably a trick. What are you after? Well, thankfully, I've never met a toddler like that. Hope you haven't either. Usually, what are toddlers like? They're very trusting, they're innocent, they're naive. They're pretty optimistic. They, they're trusting. So where does cynicism come from? Why are there so many cynical people in our world? How does an optimistic little toddler become a cynic? Well, we're going to look at that this morning. Kids, if you don't know this word, uh, cynicism, cynical, um, a cynic, they're all forms of the same word, and they mean this. It's someone who always thinks that everyone has bad motives, that no one is actually kind or loving or good, and everything that's happening is there's probably something bad is going to happen in a moment. All right? They're, they're very dark perspective. Okay? That's what a, a cynic means. They're cynical. And so as you know this morning, around the world, we're, um, people everywhere are celebrating Easter, right? And you're wondering, what in the world does cynics and cynical have to do with Easter? Well, I'll explain it in a moment. But as I said, you know, in all these cameos after the resurrection, one is Thomas, and Thomas is very cynical. He is. And we're going to look at how he became that way and then the transformation he went through. So if you look on page seven, you'll see the outline. So first, cynical. Second, hopeful. 
Third, life in Christ. So we'll begin there with cynical. Look at verse 24 again. So it said, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now you need some context here because in verse 19, it says this. So he's not there with them when Jesus came. And here's what, when Jesus did come, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the first day is Sunday, uh, the disciples were there for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Okay, so doors locked, they're fearing the Jews. Who are they fearing? The Jewish religious leaders. All right, so let's just put ourselves in their shoes. Right, so they trusted in this man who said that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited one who was going to save the Jews. He did all these miracles. They followed him. They left their jobs, right? They've been following him. And everything is great. He seems invincible. Well, until he gets captured by his enemies, tortured, and executed. I mean, think about that. I mean, how much were their hopes dashed that day? And here they are. They're like, okay, they got him, we're next. Right? It's natural. When you kill the leader, you just go after all the followers, right? And so here they are, they're fearing for their lives. Jesus appears and says, peace. He doesn't need to open doors anymore. He can just walk right through. He can just peer in the room. So this is our situation. I mean, just think about how disillusioned they, they would have been up to this moment. Remember, I asked that question, how does an innocent little child become cynical? Well, this would do it, don't you think? This would do it. Having just your dreams dashed. This was the situation. I mean, little children just assume that everyone's going to be natural. I mean, it's going to be loving and kind until their little hearts get dashed with a little dose of reality, huh? Well, these disciples certainly had that. So look at verse 25. So Thomas, this is what Thomas is walking into, right? Thomas wasn't there. They were there. They all got to see him. So then Thomas shows up, verse 25, and they say, you won't believe it. We saw Jesus. He's not dead anymore. Okay, so this is 10 guys, his 10 closest friends he spent uh, three years with, and they're all saying the same thing. Now, what does Thomas say? Well, before we get to that, he's, he's a cynic, right? How do cynics respond? In a sense, well, let's look. So it's verse 25. He says, so they said, we've seen the Lord, but he said, unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I will what? Never believe. I mean, in a sense, he's saying, you know, I'm done with Jesus. You know what? I trusted that man and he failed me. You tricked me once, shame on you. You tricked me twice, shame on... No, wait, got that backwards. <laughs> you tricked me once, shame on you. You tricked me twice, shame on me. Right, he said, I've already gone for this. I followed this man for three years and he goes and gets himself killed. Yeah, but no matter what you say, I'm not gonna believe you. <laughs> and in a sense, he's like saying, until pigs fly, I will never believe. I mean, that's basically in his mind, that's what he's saying. Unless I get to stick my hand in his side. He's not really expecting to get those things answered. So look at the rest of that verse. He says, I'll never believe. And there's a difference between doubt and unbelief, isn't there? So doubt is someone who wants to believe, but has some doubts, right? They're, they're not sure of it. They're a little shaky, but they want to believe. Unbelief is when you're just down or you don't want to believe. Like you, you don't think it's probably right, and you're pretty content with that. Now, which one was Thomas. Did Thomas want to believe and he just, he had some little doubts? Or was he pretty sure that he was right and that they were wrong and he wasn't really interested in changing that? I think it was the second. I mean, that last line when he said, 
or else I will never believe. Those are not the words of a doubter. Those are the words that someone just doesn't believe. He is quite cynical. Now, before we're too critical on Thomas, under the circumstances, would we have been any different? I mean, if you imagine just how crushing the blow of the crucifixion was, like it had, all their hopes were dashed. Like it's, I might respond the same way. And maybe you would have too. So, you know, he's been nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Yeah, I don't think it's Doubting Thomas. This isn't a doubt. He's convinced. He's much more cynical. Well, think about you guys. Are you cynical? Where are you? I mean, and what's been your life experience? You think about Thomas's life experience. Has every authority figure in your life always been loving and kind? Has every romantic relationship always ended well? Have you always been treated right? Been treated loving and kind? There's reasons why we have a little cynicism in us. I mean, I've heard people tell me stories of churches they've been in. It's not just, it's not a romantic relationship, it's churches. They tell me terrible stories how they've been treated. I mean, has every church leader been loving and kind to you in your life? I mean, it's, it makes me quite sad to hear stories that people tell me. But I get it. I get why people are so cynical. I mean, all these experiences through life leave indelible impressions on us. And so I just want to be honest and upfront acknowledge that every pastor, elder, deacon, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend has not always been loving and kind. And it really affected how you view the world. It's important to just be honest about that. And you know what? Don't feel weird about that. You were created in the image of God. What that means is you come into the world expecting everyone to be kind and loving until it gets dashed, right? And so it, you should, it should hurt. So I just want to upfront acknowledge it should hurt when people hurt you. We're, we should expect to have a kind and loving world. That's not an unfair expectation being created in the image of God. Everyone else is created in the image of God. But as we know, People don't act like that, do they? Oh, there's this thing called sin that entered the world, right? And ever since then, it's been a big mangled mess, right? People have been hurt and hurting other people. It really, it really, really affects us. Now, others of you probably don't think of yourself as cynical. You think of yourself as optimistic. There's another angle on Thomas I want to look at. It's about avoiding risk. Avoiding risk. Let me explain. So there, there's this big aspect of like him being cynical, but another aspect of it is just this idea of avoiding risk. Like he'd already taken one big risk, but even if you haven't taken one big risk and felt like you've been crushed, some of us just don't like risk. When I was a kid, I have a brother two years younger than me. His name's Daniel. I remember maybe five and seven. My dad had a pickup truck. And so my brother would just run down the, the bed of that pickup truck and just leap out the side into my dad's arms. I, on the other hand, would walk to the edge uh, Dad, could you step closer? Are you, are you, are you going to catch me? Are you sure you're not going to drop me? And then I'd kind of sheepishly step into his arms. So I, I didn't love risk as a kid, right? Some of us are just that way, right? And you've seen this in movies. It's in tons of movies. The guys being chased, or the women or whoever, are being chased by bad guys, and they come to a cliff, right? And they look over it, but there's this rope bridge, right? But it looks kind of flimsy. They look back, and they're like, well, my chances are better on that rope bridge than those guys, right? And so they step out, well, the first thing breaks, right? It's in like 25 movies, right? 
And so then they're like, but I got to go. And so they start out, right? And then they start snapping, right? You've seen it? Come on. You know, it's in tons of movies. Well, Thomas felt like he did that. And the bridge just broke out from under him. Isn't that true? He felt like he, that he, I took a risk. I went on a limb and everything fell apart. So some of you are like that. You've given church a try. You've given romance a try. You've given lots of things a try. And it really didn't go well. And you're like, I'm done with this. Right? And so you would rather just stand on the cliff and say, I, I think, so whether you've had a bad thing happen or not, many of us still stand here and say, I just don't really want to take any big risk. Do you see how it's true of all of us? All of us can relate a little more with Thomas than maybe we realized, whether it's in the risk-taking side or the cynicism side. Well, thankfully, our passage doesn't end here. Secondly, hopeful. <laughs> Let's get some hope in here. All right. Verse 26, look at this. Eight days later. Okay, so kids, get both your hands out, all right? I'm gonna teach you how to count the Jewish way. Jews, when they counted, they counted inclusively. That means they counted today when they start, okay? So you ready? All right, so we're gonna start with today. Today's Sunday, and to start. So that's day one, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, the next Sunday, how many days is that? Show me your hands. Yep, I see some eights. Yep, so eight days, all right, that's how they counted. So this is just the next Sunday, just so you know. So he's saying next Sunday, on the eight days later, what happens? His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Oh, good, Thomas, you showed up this time. All right, so they got the memo that um, their holy day, the Sabbath, the day they worship God, had always been Saturday. God created the earth in six days. He rested, so the Jews rested every seventh day, right? Well, then Jesus rise again on the first day, and they said, ooh, I think this is the day we're supposed to worship on. So we move it to the first day, right? So they had probably been gathered for worship the previous time. Thomas wasn't there. He missed, he missed a big show, right? And so then he, but he's here this time, eight days later. What happens? And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, that should sound familiar to you, Jesus came and stood among them and said, same thing he said last time, peace be with you, shalom. Peace be with you. Okay, so what do you think all the guys are doing? They're all elbowing Thomas, Say, look, we told you so. Why wouldn't you believe us, right? That's what I would do. All right. So then what happens? Then he being Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hand. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It's interesting the parallel between verse 25 and 27. You see, the risen Jesus knows all. He knew what Thomas's demands were, what his criteria were. And so, look, let, let me read them in parallel, just so you can see how, how close they are to each other. So it says, Thomas said, unless I see in his hands, Jesus said, see my hands. Thomas said, unless I place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, Jesus said, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Thomas had said, I will never believe. Jesus said, do not disbelieve. But believe. You see, he was fulfilling everything that he had said. He, was, he could have been so, he could have rebuked him harshly, couldn't he? He had every right to. But no, he was gentle. Jesus was gentle with us. Even those who are hardened in disbelief, those who are cynical, who've been burned and said, not again. But I, I just want to imagine. So let's imagine a hypothetical situation. Let's rewind the tapes a little bit. What if Thomas didn't show up that day? Okay? What if he just said, you know what? I'm done, I'm done. I don't care what you guys say. I'm not coming back. So he doesn't come this Sunday either, right? And so what do you think, what's his life going to look like? What's Thomas's life going to look like? 
I mean, he's going to be a really hardened cynic. Right? He's not going to be very trusting of people, especially not Christians. He's like, I know. I, yeah, I followed Jesus, and he failed me. I'm never believing again. I'm done with this. Right? There's this great uh, author, British author, called C.S. Lewis. He said this. And he's talking about just the risk there is in love. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must not give your heart, you must give your heart to no one. Not even an animal. It's true. Even our animals die and they break our hearts. Lock it up safe in a coffin or, or casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. Become unbreakable. Well, thankfully, that didn't happen, right? Thomas did show up. But there are people that don't show up. Right? And they just, they go on. They, their hearts have been broken once, and they aren't coming back. Well, so we see that parallel between what Thomas said and what Jesus said. And just how gentle Jesus was. So what happens next? So let's look at how Thomas responds. Now, remember, his heart had been locked in a coffin, airless, right? And remember, some called him Doubting Thomas. I might call him Hardened Unbelief Thomas, but it doesn't have the same ring, so you can call him whatever you want. Okay, so you have Thomas. What's he gonna, is he going to say like, you know, well, I got some new requirements for you. Do you do a miracle, right? Like, let me make some new rules. I don't know if you've ever heard this. It's, it's a, a silly story, but um, one guy is convinced he's dead, and his friend is trying to talk him out of it. His friend's like, it gives him lots of reasons why he's not dead. And he's like, I'm not believing any of it. So he finally, friend gets frustrated with him, and he says, look, do dead people bleed? He's like, no. And he says, he grabs the guy's hand, and he picked it with a, a print, a pen. He said, look, it's bleeding. Like I said, oh, I guess I'm wrong. I guess dead people do bleed. <laughs> so there are people that you, get, you fulfill their requirements, and they're just going to come with new requirements. And Thomas could have done that. How does he really respond? Look at verse 28. He says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Five words, my Lord and my God. This is probably the clearest testimony in Scripture of the deity of Christ. He said, my Lord, and what does Lord mean? So kids, do you know what Lord means? It's not Lord of the Rings. Lord means your master, your king, the one in charge, the one who calls the shots, okay? So he's saying, Jesus, you're the one that calls the shots in my life, and my God, your deity. And it would have been very different if he just said, the Lord and the God. He's saying, my Lord. This is personal for him, my God. Well, that, that heart in the heart softened up, hasn't it? This was just a week ago. Thomas was his own Lord. He was calling the shots. He said, this is what Jesus is going to do, or I will never believe. Right? Isn't he calling the shots? Not anymore. God has softened his heart. So now he's saying, my Lord and my God. I, I, live, I used to live in Charlotte. I was uh, reading the Bible with one of my neighbors, and I can, I can see it just as clear as day. I was in my backyard, had a fire pit. I still have the fire pit. almost rusted out. And my wife wants to get rid of it, but I still have it anyway. That's another story. Anyway, the fire pit. I'm sitting there, Adirondack chairs, drinking a beer, having guacamole chips, and we're talking about the gospel. He understood it and uh, basically believed it, but he understood that what it meant of lordship, that Jesus was going to call the shots. And he said, you know, honestly, Nathan, like, I don't want to do it. Like, I basically want to call the shots in my life. And I appreciate his honesty, but it broke my heart. Like, he under, he, there's no more information he needed, but he was unwilling to turn over the keys to his life, right? He wanted to continue to run it. And so, I, please don't make that mistake. 
But there are people that do. You know, I want to read you a little bit more of that quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and, and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Really, C.S. Lewis, hell, you had to go there. But as you think about it, it's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, apart from heaven, heaven you're safe from getting your heart broken. Heaven, I mean, earth, there's no place. There's no place that you can be safe. The only other place is hell. You won't get your heart broken there because it's already crushed. C.S. Lewis is right. We fill our lives with hobbies and luxuries to kind of make it seem full. If you've been hurt in your life, and we all have, don't lock your heart in a coffin. If you've been hurt by a church, don't lock, lock your heart in a casket. Look at verse 29. Look how Jesus responds to Thomas's declaration. He says, my Lord and my God, look at verse 29. He said, Jesus said to him, have you believed, Thomas, because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you guys. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This, this passage has been read for over 2,000 years, right? Millions of people have heard this gospel and believed, though they've never seen Jesus. And so here we are today. Hey, thanks for showing up, right? Thomas, we weren't sure if he was going to show up the second time, but you did. You've shown up. And this is the best place to encounter Jesus. The best place to encounter Jesus. I love these last two verses. Look at the last two verses. This brings us to our third point. Life in Christ, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs. Okay, this is John writing, who wrote this gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Well, come on, John. You mean there's other cool things that we don't get to find out about? So he says. But these are written. Well, before I get there, he's going to tell us in the next verse why he wrote this book. The very purpose they wrote this book. What, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of the Bible? What is the purpose of the Gospels? What do you think? Many people would answer that question and say, well, it's a, to teach you right and wrong. It's to tell you what to do and not to do. To see the example of Christ and follow the example of Christ. Well, certainly there's some truth in that, but it's not the main reason. I mean, that's actually one of the main reasons people don't read the Bible. Like, a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts? Well, that sounds like exciting reading, doesn't it? You know, I know we're all in church, and I'm a pastor, so everyone, you know, if I asked you to all smile and say, I love to read the Bible, right? I know. But let's be honest. Not it. It's not, not all of you do. I mean, they didn't come with the term Bible-thumping Christians for no reason. Right? People have taken the Bible and they beat people with it, right? What are you doing this for? Stop that. Boy, that makes me want to read the Bible. It's true. Okay, let's look at the real reason. What's the real reason he wrote this book? Verse 31. 
But these are written, right? He said, there are a bunch of miracles that I didn't write down, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He wrote this down so that you may believe. And so that's what's been happening. Millions of people around the world have read this and believe. They read the accounts of Jesus and they believe. Let's go back to the cynics for a second. How does a cynic recover? How do you recover from being cynical? What do you think? Think for a moment. How do you recover from being cynical? Many of you are. All of us are a little bit. We've all been burned in some way by somebody. Some of you in major ways. How do you recover? I think one way you recover is a large number of data points on the same trajectory. Right? You remember in school, kids, some of you, as you get older, you plot a line, right? Get some li- you get some dots and you draw the line between it. Have you done that? You're going to do that later in school. It's lots of fun. Okay, so you, you plot this line. All the adults know what I'm talking about. And uh, so if you get enough data points, a big enough set, your confidence in that line grows, right? And that's how it works. It takes trust, can be broken in a moment. It takes a long time to rebuild. Amen? Is that true? Many of you have had that experience. Trust has been shattered in one day, in one event. But it can be rebuilt over a long period of time with a lot, a very large data set. Yeah, that's the way it works. It's good. It takes a lot of data. You know what? I want to tell you about a guy. This is, year was 1859. His name is Charles Blondin. You might not know him. He's a French tightrope walker. He walked back and forth across Niagara Falls. Pretty cool story. And so there's like these huge crowds. He's on a tightrope right, walking back and forth. And these huge crowds just cheering. Right? They're on both sides. Yeah, this is great. Watching him. He's so brave. And he does all these different stunts. You can look it up. Different things he did. One day he went out there and like cooked an egg out on a little oven in the middle. It's crazy. Anyway, so he goes back and forth. Everyone's cheering and all excited. Well, then finally he says, hey, who wants to come with me? Here you go, right on my back. I'll push you in a wheelbarrow. Probably get pretty quiet, don't you think? Yeah, no one took him up on that offer. What a surprise. They were all cheering until he said, hop on my back. The scenario changed. They were excited for him to go risk his life. They were still standing safely on this side, right? But there's one, only one person was willing to. His manager. (laughs) Harry Coldcord, his manager. He climbed on his back. This is a true story. And he walked all the way across on his back. So Jesus, Jesus went from here, right? And when he came, Jesus came into Jerusalem. There was lots of cheering, wasn't there? Right, Palm Sunday, you probably read about it. Everyone was excited. Then this whole thing, like he got killed, that's a little less exciting, right? And so it's one thing, you know, you know the stories, don't you? Right, and so we all can be that crowd that just cheers. Yeah, it's great for you, Jesus. I'm happy for you to go die and rise again, but I'll just stand safely over here. But Thomas said, my Lord and my God, it became personal for him, right? And so in a sense, God invites us to hop on Jesus' back. See, the reality is you can't stay on this cliff, right? Death is coming. That's going to push you off the edge, right? You, you can't stay here forever, right? Right here, we're all, right here, you can be comfortable, right? Today, you can do nothing. You can ignore everything I say and go home and go on about your life and you'll still be safely on this cliff, for now, right? But eventually, we all get pushed off, right? We, we don't know how long we're living, but we all know we're ending. 
Right? Nod your head. You agree, right? We've heard this. Death is real, right? Okay, good. Just making sure we're on the same page. Whew. All right. So, so eventually, our lives are going to end. And so Jesus has said, look, I went from here to death and back to life. He showed himself to lots of people, 500 people. He said, look, I want to carry you across. I want to carry you across. You know, the people that, have you ever known someone who's like said, I will never trust another man again? I'll never trust another woman again. Have you, do you, have you, there are people like that. Most of us all know someone like that. What's their life like after that point? I mean, isn't it kind of sad watching their life? Like they, they isolate themselves. You remember kind of that C.S. Lewis quote, right? And they're just, they're very isolated. Never try. I got burned so bad. Every man, scum, right? Every woman's terrible. Liars and cheat, right? And they just, they go on with that. It's really sad to watch. I mean, you, you just want to convince them, no, look, not every man is like that. Or with the church, they've been burned by church. Look, not every church is like that. And some cannot be convinced. They say, no, they're like where Thomas was. I'm, a, I'm hardened in my unbelief. We as a church are by no means perfect, but one of our goals is, is that we want to be a hospital, just to nurse people back to health. You might have come today, and you, know, you don't have a big enough data set on Jesus. You're like, oh, I got like one point. I'm not really drawing a line here. And so it's okay. Like, give it time. Like, get enough data points so you're confident that God really is real. And I'm not asking you to put your hope in me, because eventually I'll disappoint you, just in some extent, right? To put your hope in Christ. Christ is the one who never disappoints, right? He never has dropped anyone off into Niagara Falls, Right? He's carried, safely carried everyone across. Everyone that trusts in him and they die. He meets them on the other side of death, carries them to heaven safely. He carries them. And so you not only do you need to have your faith in the right person, because you, many of you put too much trust in a person. Right? You idolize a person and they failed you. And so you become cynical. And so if you trust Jesus, so it's not just, if you're already a Christian this morning, you still need to pay attention right? We're all cynical because we put our hope in people. They disappoint us and we become cynical. And what you need to realize is, as you trust in Jesus, as you put all your weight on him, if your other foot is on other relationships, a little lighter, right? And, and, that, and they fail you, as they fail you in little ways or big ways, you don't lose your balance. Does that make sense? If you're balanced on Jesus, that's where your hope is. So you need to have your hope in the right person, but also the right perspective. Some of you might have been listening to me and actually saying, you know what? I think Jesus failed me. I prayed really hard about something and they died. The person I prayed for. Jesus didn't actually fail. He didn't, he, there's no scripture that said that he will save that person, that they won't die from cancer. He often answers our prayers. So you need to have the, your hope in the right person with the right perspective. What I mean by that is eternity. Eternity right? That he is never, he said this, he said, I will lose none of all the fathers given to me before the cross. Remember the last thing Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. The nice thing about when something's finished is you don't have to worry about it anymore. So way back then, Jesus completely accomplished our salvation. The reason he's being executed is because there's a chasm far greater than Niagara Falls of my sins and your sins. They've separated us from God. Right, and so there really is on the other side of death, there's a huge chasm and you cannot cross it. No matter how good you are, how nice you are to other people, 
what you do for a church or whatever you do, right? It doesn't matter, right? You can't get across apart with that without Jesus. So Jesus died, was perfect. He was being executed. Why? Why was he being executed? For my sins and your sins. So we're all under a death penalty for our sins. That's what the scripture says. For the wages of sin is death. But rather than you die, Jesus died. And when he said it's finished, he paid for all the sins of everyone who would ever believe in him. Does that include you? Does that include you? If you place your faith in him, it includes you. And you can have confidence that on the other side of death, you can have no fear of it. Jesus is there waiting and will walk you across. There's no other way. No other way apart from him. You know, and, but it's not just, that is, that's the right perspective. You got that part? So right person, right perspective. Eternity, he might not answer all your prayers now, but does that mean that God's only interested in the life in the future? Look at the end of the verse. How did it end? It said that you would have life in his name. Does that only mean eternal life? No, it also means life now. The vision of our church is, is that we would experience, it's from John 10.10, 10, that we would experience the full life that's found in Christ alone. And help many others experience the same in every neighborhood of Cane Bay, and it goes on. You, God wants to change your life. Now, if you have confidence in him, he wants to take care of your anxiety, that he's in control, and you don't have to worry. Not just your anxiety, but he wants to give you joy, that no matter how bad you've messed up in the past, he loves you. He wants to give you friendships with other Christians. You'd have fellowship you don't have to pretend to be perfect with them. I encourage you. Remember Thomas came? You came this Sunday? If you don't have enough data points, come back next Sunday. Not only do you get free barbecue, it's really good pulled pork. But you also, this is the place to encounter God, is with his people. This is the best place. If you feel like you don't have data points, it's okay. But just don't go the rest of your life that way. That's why I plea with you. If I never see you again, at least hear me this moment. But I hope I will next Sunday. Next Sunday, and I'll, we'll share a meal together. There are people like Thomas the first Sunday, and they just go off like a cynic. As C.S. Lewis said, though to love it all is to be vulnerable, love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. May we not wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Lots of people do this in Cane Bay, avoiding all entanglements. Locking it up safe in a casket or coffin of our selfishness. Let's close with this first. Look at 31 again. But these were written, my friends, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He really is. Jesus really rose again. And that by believing, you may have life, both eternal and right now, in his name. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we're all cynics to some extent. And we all don't like to take risk. Whether it's the risk of salvation or the risk to talk to our neighbor. Lord, we just don't like it. We'd rather stay safe, comfortable on our couch. And so, Lord, please help me. Give me more courage to take risk. I know that you're far more trustworthy than that French tightrope walker. Lord, thank you that you really, really rose again. And that you, this morning, have been here. I hope you've delighted in all that we've said and talked about. Lord, it's, it's all from your word. Lord, I pray for their hearts. Lord, Holy Spirit, move in their hearts, even this moment, that you would convince them of the certainty of these things that are written. 
as you have with millions of people around the world, that they too could have confidence that on the other side of death, you wait for them to carry them to heaven. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.